Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Hi, welcome back to The Coaching Show. This is Alex Terranova. This is not Christopher McAuliffe. If you are disappointed, I'm sorry. Um, but you should be excited because I'm here and I'm often here usually as the co-host. Christopher is, I think he's on vacation. I'm not sure where he is. But we have an amazing guest and we also have an awesome co-host who you may remember. Um, Craig, 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 I don't know why, like I always want to mess up your last name, but it's Craig Cassie, right? I don't know why it's what's what's funny is I always want to say Craig Casey, which Cassie is my niece's name. It's like it should be easy, but like my brain wants me to blow it up and just get us off to a bad start. (laughs) (laughs) You and every I'm well, you and every coach I've ever had, even the ones who have trained me as a track athlete for eight years, have called me Casey. So I don't think it's it's a you thing. It might just be a societal thing. (laughs) It's 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 just I think it's funny because every time I say to myself, this is your, like, I'll remind myself with the, like, this is my niece's name. And yet it's like, I, it's almost like a self-sabotage, like just mess this up. And then you get to, you know, your name anxiety gets to be real again. It's all good. Maybe it's my beer that throws you off. Cause I definitely don't look like your niece with this, but uh, <laughs> you, don't, in DC <laughs> you don't look like my niece. Um, <laughs> Craig is an executive life and relationship coach. I love your slogan. Do you, are you still saying from the boardroom to the bedroom? Oh, yeah, it's one and the same. The breakthroughs you have in one give you access to what you want in the other. So this is holistic coaching for all the goodies in life. <laughs> I love it. Craig, you're in D.C., right? I am. What's going on? Anything you want to share with, with anyone you haven't? Yeah, I don't think you've hosted, been with us for, I don't know, a month or two. And then you're going to be back because I'm leaving. You're going to be with Christopher. So you have fun with that. Oh, I plan to. Y'all will hear me for a minute. It's going to be a good few weeks back to back. Um, as far as you see, you know, life here is good. I think everyone collectively has just moved through a funk. Like, I don't know about you, Alex, but my DMs have been filled, whether it's friends or clients or even myself sharing. It's been a weird couple of weeks energetically. People feel all over the place. They're either down or they're up, but then they feel like they're falling down. So uh, I'm just excited that this last few days in particular, it feels like there's a clearing for so many of us and we're finally leaning back in to showing up in our power and letting go of whatever that energetic ick was be it the six planets in retrograde or the changing of the seasons i don't i'm trying to you know i mean you know this i think we've talked about this i moved in the last week actually in the last few days so i moved out of essentially the apartment complex i've lived in for the last four years the place where i moved into in san diego uh to like a north north county like sleepy beach town most most people in most cities would call it like the suburbs of San Diego, right? But we don't say it like that out here. So I'm, I'm like 30 miles north of the city of San Diego, like in this little beach town, just bought my own place. We moved in on Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday. So it's a disaster still, right? So the world feels like it's swirling. Um, and then I leave on Friday for Tulum for two weeks with, with, for the, for this trip that we've also talked about this, uh, love experiment trip. Um, and, uh, I've taken myself off social media for the last three weeks. So if the world is 
having some weird energy, I'm kind of like, I still look online and stuff, right. But I'm not on social media. So it's, it's, I've had enough chaos in my own life. Like I didn't need the drama of social media mixed into it. Um, and it's been really <laughs> nice and I can't decide if I want to go back. I'm going to go back for the trip because people want to know what's happening with the Tulum thing. But overall, I can't decide if I want to go back. I feel like I want it to be intentional or not, or not do it because it's not intentional. Um, Craig, where can, before we introduce our guests, because I want to, I want to get to her, um, where, uh, where can people find you if they want to like, no more. Well, if you do like social media and you're not taking a hiatus like Alex, which no judgment, kudos to you. I enjoy it a little too much some days. You can find me at uh, the handle Craig Cassie Jr. That's C-R-A-I-G-C-A-S-S-E-Y-J-R for daily postings, meditation, some real on-the-spot coaching. And you can also catch me now on YouTube. My YouTube show is about to launch this week called Coaching Naked. We cover everything from your self-sabotage to having better sex, open relationships, and thriving business relationships too. So if you want some straight real talk with a lot of sass and <laughs> some compassion too, check out Coaching Naked. You'll see me there. And there's no nudity, right? This is a lovely- No, there's vulnerability. <laughs> it's a different kind of nudity, but nice. it's all well-dressed. <laughs> nice. Uh, and if you want to know more about me, you can go to thedreammason.com. Uh, my Instagram, which usually is full of tons of videos with me talking about mindset and all the things we deal with in life and trying to support people with shifting their relationship to things is inspirational, Alex. Uh, but as I said, I haven't been there. If you are like, wait, what happened with the Tulum thing? Go there and you will find out because we'll be back on in a couple of days as we take off for this trip. Uh, I want to get to our guest. So our guest is... Weird. I should just say Craig and I were both like blown away by all that she has accomplished and done. So I am feel like I'm only like touching the surface of the gold in, in which she has created like a life around. Um, she's the founder of the Leadership Psychology Institute. She has more than 20 years partnering with senior teams for multinational organizations. She specializes in organizational solutions, which help answer today's ever increasing business needs and leadership and management and team effectiveness. She comes from a really interesting, we were kind of all laughing about this, her, her multicultural background, born in Nigeria, raised in Greece, went to German school, now lives in the UK with her dog from Spain. I think I got all that right. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. And here's a challenge for you. What is the dog's name? <laughs> I remember Post-It, but that's not the dog's name. I remember the nickname is Post-It because it's always stuck to you, but I don't remember the dog's name. Craig? First name, first name Eddie or Edward. I think there's a, is there a Thunderfoot in there? Yeah, there's a Thunder for sure. It's it's Eddie Wigglebottom's Thunderpaws. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, you just heard her. She also has, she's written two books. Um, one is called Under Pressure, Understanding and Managing Pressure and Stress at the at the workplace, the other is called Factions of a Mind, Understanding the Physical and Psychological Effects of Caring. And she has a third book on the way coming out in May 2022 called Group Dynamics, Investigating Team Dynamics from Leaders to Corporate Gatekeepers. Dr. Maria Katsu, Katsuru Makin, yeah. thanks for being here. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. This is really amazing. How, how are you? Okay, thanks for being here with us. Like, did I miss anything? Is there anything no. that I need to say that people need to know? No, no, that was too much already. You didn't miss absolutely anything. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm, I'm talking to you from across the pond, from a small town called Frotcham, which is in the northwest of England, outside, uh, in between Liverpool and Manchester. You may know that those two. Um, so yeah, and as you said, I've got Eddie um, stuck on my thigh <laughs> and really excited to be here. Thank you. You shared, I, I just, I would love to touch on this if you're open, because you shared it right in the beginning. We were talking about your books and right away, it just seemed like a really interesting, can you just give us an idea? Like you, the first one was Under Pressure, the second one is Factions of a Mind, and the third is Group Dynamics. But you said you, the second one, right, you wrote because like life got like, and I think yeah. this is, I'm really interested in it because that, that's a, that was a personal situation. But I think all of us as a collective world have been dealing with kind of the, the impact of life. Uh, you yeah. want to just share like a little bit about, about the books and, and why you have, why you're writing a third and why you wrote the first two? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for that opportunity. And I agree with you completely. It's, and especially the, the, the second book, which was not planned at all, is actually very relevant at the moment because of what's happening in the world. So the first book was by design. It's, it's under pressure uh, based on the title. It's very, very obvious what it's, it's talking about. It's about this managing the stress at uh, the workplace. Um, the, the third one, Group Dynamics, was also planned and basically that book is a I'm sharing my experiences from the corporate world from working with teams because initially originally I used to be a person that actually hated to be part of a team I was never my best I just hated teamwork whenever you know they said oh let's do a brainstorm um, session I thought oh my god here we go again I was never my best in a team so eventually I decided to study them and understand myself and how team, uh, teams operate. So the third book, I'm not, um, it's very important for me that the audience understands I'm not coming from a position of authority, but I'm actually sharing my experiences. I love working with teams right now. Um, and just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to debunk the myth of um, high performing teams, which is, a one of those buzzwords you know you go in everybody thinks they're a high performing team or they want to be one and i actually don't believe in high performing teams it's it's not like a, an end state where oh I'm, I'm there now i'm a high performing team it doesn't work like that so and the the second book basically is because life happens um Unfortunately, I lost my husband from um, a terminal illness, which was cancer back in 2019. I don't know how I wrote this book, but it was my, um, if you want my personal therapy. Uh, and I, I apologize for the, <laughs> the tremble in my voice. Um, so I, I can't, it was, it was probably the most difficult thing to write, but it was my way of making sense of what happened. And also the, what I was trying to, the message here is I was trying to say that death has its own language. You know, we talk about life, we don't talk about death. And it's, it's like the most, all three of us are going to die. <laughs> that's the most certain thing. Yet we do not talk about that. And I think that's a problem. 
So, um, yeah, so after that jolly note. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for jumping it right in. Clearly, me and Craig are not a high performing team. I thought that would have been a bad thing, but now I'm <laughs> but thanks for going right to the that vulnerable place with us right to get started. I just you know, in the world we live in right now, so many of us, so many people in different, in so many different ways are dealing with the like, life doesn't care what you want or what you think, yeah. and it gives you things. And for you to have written a book to share how you've dealt with that tragedy in your life is pretty profound because we're all, to your point, I, I we're all going to deal with it in some way or at some point with all of our loved ones, you know, and you can have no loved ones. You have pets, you're going to deal with it with them, but you're going to, we're all going to deal with it unless you live in a cave by yourself. Yes. So um, it's really beautiful that it's almost to me, I heard it, it's like a tribute all beside to the relationship to your husband's life because um, mm -hmm. that gets to live on. So but thanks for thanks for letting us go right to that vulnerable place Thank right you. to get started. Yeah. Thank you for, for allowing me to do so. Thanks. <laughs> what you know, you have there's so many areas that you're you, ha you have a PCC as a coach, you're you have a doctorate, you have master's degrees. But what do we want to know from a, like this, the majority of people listening to this show are coaches that are either, you know, wanting to get better training. What do you, in all of the training you've received, what, what is there that you're taking away or learning that, that you think like coaches need to know that maybe you've gotten from other sources outside of coaching? That's a, a great question, actually. Um, I think at the end of the day, the only tool we have in our hands is ourselves. <laughs> You know, uh, and the, the more work we do with ourselves, the better we become in serving others. So I think um, initially when I started, and because I do have an illness, I love training and <laughs> studying and reading. And uh, when I was younger, I was doing it for a completely different reason. So I, I was trying to prove something if you want and being accepted. However, as I grow, grew older, when I, I started choosing what I want to study, I, I'm, I'm doing it now for a, a much more healthier reason. And it's basically, it's about self-awareness, self-regulation, self-reflection. It's trying to, uh, because again, I don't believe you just, it, it finishes, it just continues. And I'm, in, I'm an internal believer in, we need to continue to um, develop ourselves. It's, it's a journey that never ends. So I think that's the most important message. And the solution lies within us. There's no, there are no gurus or experts or self-help books. It's, it's within you. Maria, that's beautiful. And you know, reading your bio, there's, there's so much uh, interesting conflict, even in just your childhood, based on where you grew up. You know, we're talking about uh, political strife or different battles, be it in the geopolitical space of Greece or your initial home country. So how did being with all of that, the ever evolving world around you as a child, guide you to this work? Um, I think if I did not have all that experience, I would have been a, been, been a completely different person. Um, I, I do come, I am going to say this out publicly from a dysfunctional family. <laughs> like probably most of us. Um, however, um, I, I think I have managed to, to turn, to reframe that and turn that around and see that as an opportunity for growth. 
Um, so even, yeah, yeah, as you said, Ni Nigeria in the 70s, it was a tough country. Um, I mean, the, the reason we were there, both my parents were Greek, but my, uh, they, they were a poor family, basically. And my father went to Nigeria for a better future back in 1960. So it, it wasn't just, uh, it was a hard life. However, as a child, I didn't have a different and, and a, a reference point. So for me, all that was natural. It was normal to uh, maybe not have food in the supermarkets or where you had to actually boil and filter the water or not to be allowed to walk on the streets and so on and so forth. But it, it does affect you, obviously. At the same time, it brings you together with other people and you understand what's important. And it definitely, I think it has, um, it has made me more resilient for sure. Um, and then when I, I, I went back to Greece, I, I, I didn't feel Greek, I didn't feel German, I didn't feel Nigerian. So I, I, do, I did go through an identity crisis. What am I, who am I, what am I doing? So in my teenage years, uh, it was quite a difficult time. Um, yeah, and then it, it's, it's, I think it's how you use all that and how you embrace it and integrate it and how it becomes part of your identity. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure if that answers your question, Craig. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to keep going with that, too, because I'm thinking like your unique perspective shapes who you are as a leader, as a coach. Um, and I often think people sometimes think they have to hide or adjust or change their unique perspective, like it doesn't fit in the model. What what how has your perspective really enhanced when you go in and work with like these high level leaders and teams? What what are you able to bring from your own story into that? Um, one thing is I'm quite sensitive with difference because I had to grow up amongst um, being in an environment all the time scanning for danger, for whatever, for multicultural differences and so on. I think that has equipped me with an ability to, to read the room and be sensitive to what is, um, you know, the, uh, the whatever is unsaid and also encourage others to tap into that potential. And also, um, because maybe maybe it does come out, I'm not sure if it does come across. I'm not a person, I, I do, I do, I'm not scared to self-disclose. And that, of course, in coaching, you need to do that with, a, with an intention and with an objective. You can, I mean, self-disclosing when you're coaching somebody, there has to be, um, and it's a big, one of those big debates, but there has to be a reason why you do that. So that's the other thing. And then is how do you use your vulnerability and not to be afraid to be a maverick or not to be part of the tribe? Uh, so you can be a black sheep, a pink sheep, whatever color of sheep you want, but, and that's okay. And you don't have to be part of a tribe because as humans, we are quite tribal. We do, the, the, the need for belonging is very high. Uh, so sometimes some people who feel a bit different, uh, they struggle with that. So it's how do you allow them? How do you offer that space to be whatever they want to be? I'm sold. I'm ready to be a black and a pink sheep and all the other things. And I imagine when you first mentioned earlier in this, in this recording that 
there is no high performance team or that the high performance team is a myth that you might have given a few of us identity crises because <laughs> I know some clients who hire me specifically to support them around generating high performance for themselves or in a, in a team space. So how do you um, support people who that's what they've been striving for, that's what they've been identifying their company as, realize and be with the fact that there's actually something different that might be more supportive? Uh, that's a difficult question um, because the, um, the, the people, the, the, the client, the system, they, they need to want to go into that space. And in the corporate environment, um, most corporates think they do, but they are not always to, uh, ready to do the work. Uh, so that's one aspect. Uh, the second thing is, as you guys know, uh, uh, that work takes time. So there's, we have the challenge of how, how do you, be, uh, because corporates usually they want a solution and they want it fast and they want it tomorrow, which ain't going to happen, as we know. So it's how my challenge is how do you um, first convince them if you want to make a beginning. And then once you have them on, on board, then be able to, to do that work. And that's not easy. I don't have an answer yet. I'm, I'm, as I'm, I'm honest, I'm just, uh, I am still struggling sometimes with that myself. Because everybody wants change. However, they're not prepared to really put in the work that once they, they realize they start, they, oh, okay, this is hard. <laughs> I love, I love that concept of like the, like finding success. You didn't say these are not your words, but it's what I heard. It's like finding success outside of high performance. That's that, it kind of reminds me like having a race car on a city street. Mm. It's kind of pointless. It's super high performing, but with stop signs and lights, it's not actually effective. It's really ineffective, right? It's gonna, with all the bumps and potholes and, and, and uh, any, anything that isn't flat and perfect, it's actually gonna damage the car and mess it up. Whereas having like a, a, a type of city car, whatever that might be, whatever a regular car is, would actually be much more effective in, in terms of the environment that you're in. Um, and that there was a time and place where being high performing may have been the way maybe that's like old culture especially in america like i think and i think a lot of places it's changing people don't want to just grind and grind and grind and like they want more than that um yeah. and i know i know i do i don't want to just hustle for for more success how do we if we're not let's just look at for you if it's not about high performance What's the, what's the alternative? What does that look like in your own life if you're not perf like going for that? Um, some, you know, sometimes um, being good enough is actually performing. It, it depends again, what does, what does one define as high performing? So how, um, and I want to bring emotions in, in that equation as well. So how, if, if you're talking about, if you're asking me personally is, where do I feel I'm, I sort of have a, um, a personal equilibrium? And that can be different to person to per, from person to person, to organization from organization, from a team to another team. 
So, and to, I like the, the metaphor you used earlier, Alex, it's, um, I use that quite often because if we, if in terms of organizations, they usually approach change unidimensional while, so it's about mindset um, processes and probably structure, but they go in and they just do one of the three. And that's exactly your example just um, illustrated that. So to take um, agility, which has been in fashion the last few years for whatever reason, because these two things come in fashion. So everybody's focused on agility right now. Um, yeah, they just fo are focused on mindset. While if you look at their structure and their processes, that cannot support the mindset they want. So, which goes back to systemic, to a systemic approach. You can't just tackle it from one side. And that feels coachy to me. Like that's the being of a person in a mindset, the being as exhibited in a company's structures, and then as well as a company ethos as well. And I hear for people and groups that really strive for high performance, there are probably some ways that they're actually out of alignment. <laughs> Whether yes. it's like if they're achieving the results they want to, or maybe those results are actually what's serving the company, serving its members or whatnot. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of, a lot of, goal to be had in looking at the being of each one of those layers and uh you all could use a reality call for reality check-in i'm sure yeah i think that sums it up perfectly <laughs> you've done you know we i want to come back to just your books for a minute because i think you know a lot of i know when I, craig's experienced this with me there's a lot of coaches that want to write books a lot of coaches have a lot of people want to write books, right? But a lot of coaches want to write books. And I personally know of a lot of coaches that have great book ideas. Mm -hmm. But the difference between having a book idea and the and writing a completed book is are two different universes. What's your how have you been able? I know the second one, you don't even know how you 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 kind of manifested it. Um but do you have like a practice or a process, a way that you're able to get yourself, you know, in front of the computer or in front of a pad of paper, however you do it and actually get the work done and then go back. And I know for me, I can write, but then when it gets to editing, I get stopped and I don't want to clean it up and I don't want to do it again. What's your, what's your writing process like? I'm smiling, Alex, because um, the people who know me well, I have a nickname and that's Mrs. Random. <laughs> So just to answer your, so I do have a structure, but it's my own structure. So, uh, and I'm a very, um, if you want a big picture person. So a, a book idea usually starts with bits and pieces or a piece of paper that looks like a mind map or like a main idea. And then uh, once I have that, then I start writing bits and pieces, literally bits and pieces, which then come together like a puzzle. And I always leave the introduction and the, the conclusion, whatever the conclusion is at the end. So, and that's has been my approach to writing always. It's, it's not, and it may, I think it's quite random rather than, so I, I'm the type of person who has an idea, will write it on a post-it note. And then I have a notepad where I have all the post-it notes in the notepad and then sort of eventually it comes um, together. So um, yeah, and that's, that has been the process with both books. That has been the process with my thesis in my uh, doctorate. So 
but I guess that's a structure on its own. I, I don't know whether people actually start and write something from beginning to finish, unless of course it's fiction and it, it has to be that way. So I, you, I'm sorry. Like no, no, structure. no, no, I'm, I'm curious. Do you have like a, do you have a like, hey, I write for an hour a day. I sit down and, you know, I rent a cabin in the woods and write every day for eight weeks. Um, I tried to do that. And also um, the romantic part of me wanted to rent a cabin in Ireland. Apparently I found yeah. out lately that people go to Ireland and write. No, I don't do that. I, that, that. I write anywhere and anytime. It's whenever basically I have the inspiration. And that could be just before I go to bed or in the morning. Actually, I'm a very morning, early morning person. So I have tried to set aside time. It hasn't worked. It's just whenever I feel like writing. Yeah. But that's for me. It, it works for me. Yeah. Maria, I hear the the free flowing access you seem to have with inspiration. Like you bring it in, you put it out on a paper, there's some data tracking on those notes being done to support you. And I'm curious, as somebody who works with teams where individuals are always generating new ideas to solve problems or whatnot, how do you also support teams in being open to that kind of free flowing structure for lack of a better term? Yeah, uh, that's another challenge as well because um... That's exactly what you just described. That's how I work with the team. So in other words, especially when I do things around team dynamics and then there's a leader and the leader expects me to tell them what's going to happen. To be honest with you, I have no clue what is going to happen during the workshop, but I do need to tell them that, hey, we're, we, we, you know, there is an agenda, there is a structure. Of course, there is a framework, there's a big picture, but I cannot predict. I do have an idea, but I cannot predict exactly what's going to happen in the room. And that's um, basically, um, I think you have to have this ability of being, of feeling okay to be uncomfortable with whatever the persons bring up, but, but that's a team. That's what you do as a leader anyway. You can't you know, have everything structured. Um, so I think the way I do that is I think that um, there's trust. I have been very, very fortunate with all the people I've worked with, um, some leaders, actually i mean and wow i i owe them big credit is they have just trusted me with the process i don't know exactly what you're doing i know the team needs some of that psycho bubble just do it um, and that's how we've we've done it most of the times i hope they're not listening now someone just says, i hope future clients are not listening <laughs> Well, if you two need psychobabble, Maria is here to help you and your team by the sounds of it. But, you know, I hear trust is such a component for you in those professional relationships. And even looking back at my teams, maybe you can speak to this, Alex, too. I think that when there's breakdowns in trust, there's so much less information sharing. There's even less social sharing around the things that we hope for or our lives or, or what's really going on, especially during a pandemic and things become so, so hard or cold and only business focused. And um, I'm really hearing trust as a, a key component to that kind of bringing that vitality to a group, but also that extra space for people to expand in any which way, because we don't know the best answer as a coach for sure, but even as business owners for people inside of our companies, there's a lot of genius there. And without trust, 
we don't get to receive it. We don't get to see it. Exactly. Yes, I, I agree with you completely. And, and there's something bigger than trust because trust is about the diet. So it would be between you and I, it would be between myself and um, Alex, between you and Alex and so on. There's something, another buzzword, unfortunately, psychological safety, which is a climate that includes trust. And you can immediately tell when that is lacking from a team. You don't, before even the intervention starts from the initial emails, you know, when you start sharing information, you can tell whether that is there or not. So the intervention actually does not start when we are in the room or in the virtual room lately. It actually starts earlier and you have all that information much and it's fantastic to observe and to have all that information. You, you're, we're talking about like in the room or the impact and now we're in a place where right, we're on Zoom, we're podcasting on Zoom, we're working with our clients remotely, which many coaches already did and many podcasts were already, but most teams before COVID were not, right? Most teams were, most people were working in their offices with their teams. What's, how, how are you seeing the impact from a leadership perspective, from a group dynamic perspective in this kind of new place that we're in? Mm. Um, that's a great question. It's a huge um, subject that has many dimensions. As you said, many of us have been working virtually before COVID. So that's one thing. So prior experience and how one and pre personal preference is definitely a thing because some people like this and others don't. Okay. So that's one thing. Then the other thing is, um, uh, sometimes we underestimate the use of technology. There are things we can do with technology, and I'm not talking about video conferencing, and you can actually use technology if you have to, to bring a team together. I'm not saying it's going to ever replace um, the, the live. Um, however, we, we do impact, because of mirror neurons, we are able to actually impact other people even virtually. So emotions are much more contagious than COVID-19 because they can actually go through the screen while COVID-19 can. So uh, we, we do need to give it the, 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 the respective uh, weight. What we have lost with the, the, the virtual, if you want other the spontaneous impulse, small breaks uh, from the office. So I'm, I'm going to the um, toilet for a coffee, for the water. I, I stop at your desk, office, whatever, I say hi. We don't have that anymore. And that has affected the team dynamics. Um, the other thing is with working from home, because everything has become one, and some people's are uh, some people actually, you know, they are fine with it, but others have clear boundaries between life and work that has messed up their time as well. However, there is research, and this research is prior to COVID. I think it's if I, if I remember correctly, it's from two thousand and three. It's called disinhibition effect. We do have evidence that actually people um, open up much more virtually than live. Why? Because, you know, live, when you're in somebody's office, you give off um, your symbols of authority through your dress, your desk, blah, blah, and so on and so forth. While 
on, on, on Zoom, for example, like we're doing now, all that is gone. So unless I really dress up with some fancy makeup, have some signs at the back of my wall or whatever. So that people, we do have research that says actually that people open up much easier. Um, so there's so many, and, I, and I, I don't want to take up the time just talking about that, but the, the impact is great. Uh, and there are many dimensions to think about. And I don't think we even know all of it yet. We don't have, we haven't seen the effects yet. So I'm not sure if I haven't answered your question, Alex. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about what's in the background of my video and how we're dressed and how. <laughs> um, it is interesting, right? Like you do get a side of people. We're getting to see people in such a more personal way, right? Before we started, you showed us your dog on your lap. My dog is sitting now in her, her dog bed, but. Um, and how we, you would never see that in an office, right? If I brought my dog to an office, it would either be because it was a very dog friendly office, which just would be like a normal exciting thing, or it would be like a very weird kind of like, some people might love it, some people might hate it, some people might be yeah. jealous that they didn't bring their dog. Um, but now we get this, we do get this more intimate access into people's lives that we didn't get before. But I also could see how that could play negatively, right? People maybe are not as focused you know, you don't know what else is happening behind the screen, right? I could be watching a movie right behind my office screen and nobody knows, right? Where if I was doing that at work, I wouldn't be able to. Um, yeah. I'm also like uh, struck, like I, that piece that you talked about that, um, you know, where you're, where I'm leave my office and I pop into Craig's office and I'm like, oh, did you, you know, see that game last night? Or how was your weekend, right? Those little moments. Mm. So I, I recognize those as moments of connection often between people. Yes. And we, you know, we don't like leave our Zoom on, like if the three of us worked in an office together, we wouldn't just leave our Zooms on all day and just like, and pop in just like, hey, you know, Maria, what's, how's your day, you know? Um, that would be weird. <laughs> it would it it would be weird, and it would kind of be it would have a similar thing. But there's this we lose that right. We have to make an intentional. Exactly. I have to intentionally reach out instead of just passing you in the hall. I'm even thinking back to when we were children in school, right? Mm -hmm. How many of our interactions were simply because we crossed paths with somebody every day in the hallway, on a way to our classes, or you know we we parked our car in high school or something next to someone else that we wouldn't have. And now we lose all these things. Yeah. You're just, I, I haven't thought about this at all, that impact of, uh, of leadership, of connection, because so much of leadership, I, I think, and you've shared a little bit, is like the vulnerability, the ability to connect with people. Yeah, and add to that, and I know there's a, there are cultural differences here, and I, I know you guys don't do that as much as we do, when I say we, I mean the Greeks, touching. <laughs> so can you imagine during such, you know, I pop into your office, I say my baby touch on your shoulder. Yeah, you no may. touching, no touching allowed <laughs> in America. <laughs> I know, that's why I said there are cultural differences. But can you imagine, I mean, touch goes back to, it's so, so, so such a basic thing of our human nature. It's, it's probably, uh, I would dare say, much more important than um, satisfying our thirst and hunger, the touch. So we've, we're losing all that. 
it's uh, yeah and that will have had an impact in terms of mental health during the pandemic where people didn't have other even if it's a dog to hug because that that's the the it affects the production of very important hormone which is oxytocin so um yeah I mean, these are chats I have with my clients. I mean, I both coach relationships and entrepreneurs and during COVID, we talked about the dating scene and how it was changing. People mm -hmm. didn't feel safe to get their physical needs met, not just sexual, but like you said, touch. So a lot mm -hmm. of clients actually took on co-creating with their friends. Mm -hmm. Nice to watch movies and just to be together on the couch, to cuddle platonically or hold hands or just to be hugged sufficiently throughout the week because without that warm embrace, we really do, we might not name it. We might not even know that we're missing touch, but we know that we feel under a source. We feel sad. We feel scared. We feel alone as a result of not having those intimate experiences. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's, I mean, there's so much that we could that touch on and we're like, kind of, we're almost running out of time. So I know I want to ask you about, you know, you, you talk about something when I was doing a, a little of the reading about you, you talk about how we look at things we're, we're talking about companies right now. So I want to stay here, but companies and organizations often look at financials mm -hmm. and uh, profit and loss statements. And mm -hmm. I used to, I used to open restaurants and we, that was the thing, right? Every month or every two weeks, we get a profit and loss mm -hmm. and we had to make changes based on these numbers, mm -hmm. right? It was very not human. And you talk about a emotional PNL. Will you speak like what's an emotional PNL? What does that mean? It's um, um, what's the best way to describe that? You know how you take your car for? Do you call it MOT in the states as well, or is it just us here? The MOT, you know, the annual checkup that your car goes through. Oh, so I you, don't. It, yeah, it probably has a different name in the states. So the yeah. the annual, you know. So service of the car so you do that you don't wait, wait for i hope you don't um well it's at least in this country it's it's a legal requirement for us to do so so you don't wait for your car to break down or or that's one a metaphor or in terms of health check you actually uh, some of us do annual health checks like an annual checkup you don't wait for something to go wrong so it's exactly the same thing doing that um, emotional checkup, looking at the, the psychology. And, and I know this, the word psychology sounds a bit scary and a bit distant as well. Psychology is nothing, it's basically human behavior. Look at the human behavior, the well-being of an organization. We do not do that. We just look at the PNL. And the thing is, PNL, and I've seen uh, organizations being really, really successful. And then they do engagement surveys and the scores are really, really low. So, so what do you do with that? We just ignore it because the numbers are coming. So, and the organizations who manage and who are doing that proactively are the ones who are able to deal effectively with, with any crisis, whether it's the pandemic or whether, you know, I don't know what's the next thing going to be Godzilla from Japan, I, I don't know. I'm ready for everything. <laughs> so, so that's what the um, emotional PNL is. Do you? Is there anything that we haven't touched on 
you know, you want to speak about, right? Like we always like at the, in this show to give all of our guests like a moment at the end, a soapbox moment, I would, you know, refer to it as to, to speak to anything you, you haven't got to share that you'd like to share to, you know, a room of virtual coaches uh, and wannabe coaches and successful coaches who are listening to this. Um, it's not a, I, I do want to end with, it's a provocative um, phrase, which is actually the title of a very old book. And the title of this book is, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. And what it actually says is that um, it's, uh, this book actually argues that Buddhahood of each of us is already been obtained and we only need to recognize it. In other words, it's within us. So killing the Buddha on the road means destroying the hope that anything outside of ourselves can be our master. So it's not about gurus and finding the answer outside, it's within us. So, and I, it's, and I, I know it's a very provocative phrase, but I, I do know that provocative phrases stick. <laughs> Um, so that's what I would like to end with. And it's not just for coaches, it's for, it's for everybody. It's uh, for, for myself, for any human. Yeah. I love that. It's funny. I was just listening to a Ram Das talk from, must've been from the seventies or the eighties. And he talks about, he compares gurus and teachers. Okay. And he basically is like a guru. You're just trying to copy and paste. You're like, there's no actual humanness and I, and I'm paraphrasing and I'm botching it, but that, it, that like a teacher or a guide has you had trust that you have everything. He's really speaking about coaching in a lot of ways without speaking about coaching that a yeah. guru is like, no, do it exactly like this. This is, this is like the only way or the right way. And a teacher or a guide or a coach is uh, more about like, no, we need to, you have to find your own path. It's already within you. Um, so that's a beautiful way. Maybe we'll even call this episode killing, kill the Buddha on the road. <laughs> um, Maria, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I want to tell people where they can find your, your books, uh, where they can find you. So if people go, I know you said, um, you're, you're willing to give away five books to some listeners. Yes. So if you are a listener and you're interested in one of uh, Mona Maria's books, email producer at accomplishment, uh, accomplishmentmedia.com and the first five emails will receive a free copy of Maria's book. And where do we want to go? Let me tell, remind people about your books. Can, I'm assuming they can get them on Amazon. or Yeah, and, they're, you know, yeah they're all on Amazon, yeah. Okay, yes. cool. Because you can find any everything, right? I could probably buy Craig on Amazon at this point. Um, it's, <laughs> it's expensive, but he's there. Uh, so you can get under pressure, understanding and managing pressure and stress at the workplace and factions of a mind, understanding the uh, physical and psychological effects of caring and coming out in May 2022, Group Dynamics, investigating team dynamics from leaders to corporate gatekeepers. And what... I'm, oh, and your website. Your website is leadershippsychologyinstitute.com. Everything is spelled exactly how it's supposed to be spelled. <laughs> leadershippsychologyinstitute.com. We'll put everything also in the show notes. Maria, 
Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing the vulnerable things and also the um, the more businessy like coach things with us. Um, it was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Craig. It was a real uh, pleasure. So massive, massive thanks for all of you for giving me the space. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Craig, thanks for being here with me again. I wish you so much luck with Christopher uh, when you when he comes back next week or the week, whenever it is that you, you all are recording uh, that I won't be here. You can let me know. Um, Craig, uh, is it I, for, I always forget because you're which one has junior your Instagram or your website? My Instagram has junior. My website is just craigcassie.com. C-A-S-S-E-Y, craigcassie.com, Craig Cassie Jr. on Instagram. I'm Alex Terranova. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You can pick up my book, Fictional Authenticity, on Amazon or the audiobook on Audible or Apple. And thanks for listening to us. Um, It's such a cool experience to be able to be in people's ears and and share and uh, learn and share all at the same time. Uh, This is The Coaching Show, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.